Hi, listeners. I'm Kieran Harris, producer of the 80,000 Hours podcast. Today, we're launching the final entry of our Anonymous Answers series on the website. It features answers to 23 different questions, including how have you seen talented people fail in their work? And what's one way to be successful you don't think other people talk about enough? And uh, these are from anonymous people whose work we admire. We thought a lot of the responses were really interesting. Uh, Some were provocative and others just surprising. Uh, And as intended, they span a very wide range of opinions. So we decided to share some highlights here with you podcast subscribers. This is only a sample, though. Uh, It includes a few answers from just 10 of those 23 questions. You can find the rest of the answers and the links in the show notes or at 80,000hours.org slash anonymous. So, why did we create this series? Well, in April 2019, we posted some anonymous career advice from someone who wasn't able to go on the record with their opinions. It was pretty well received, so we figured we'd try a second round. This time interviewing a larger number of people we think have had impressive careers so far. It seems like a lot of successful people have interesting thoughts that they'd rather not share with their names attached, on sensitive and mundane topics alike, and for a variety of reasons. For example, they might be reluctant to share personal opinions if some readers would interpret them as officially representing their organizations. As a result, we think it's valuable to provide a platform for people to share their ideas without attribution. The other main goal is to showcase the diversity of opinions on these topics. This collection includes advice that members of the 80,000 Hours team disagree with, sometimes very strongly, and the answers you're about to hear are no different. We didn't select these as highlights because we agree with all of them, we just think they're thought-provoking. We think our readers and listeners need to keep in mind that reasonable people can disagree on many of these difficult questions. We chose these interviewees because we admire their work. Many, but not all, share our views on the importance of the long-term future, and some work on problems we think are particularly important. This advice was given during spoken interviews, uh, usually without preparation, and transcribed by us later. Uh, We sometimes altered the tone or specific word choice of the original answers, and then checked that with the original speaker. As always, we don't think you should ever put much weight on any single piece of advice. The views of 80,000 Hours, and of our interviewees, will often turn out to be mistaken. Again, this is only a fraction of the answers we heard, and if you enjoy this, you can get access to the complete collection at 80,000hours.org slash anonymous. All right, without further ado, here's me reading out anonymous advice and opinions from people we respect. The first thing we did in these interviews was to ask a broad opening question, which was something along the lines of, what's good career advice you wouldn't want to have your name on? This was one of the strongest entries, so we selected seven answers to highlight here. But there are another 20 answers on the website, just to this question, in addition to all of the other content, which you can find at 80,000hours.org slash anonymous. Our first answer comes from someone who thought you ought to be an entertaining interviewee. Quote, The best interviewees come in almost like entertainers. They realize that the people interviewing them are bored. They come in with ideas and anecdotes specific to the organization, and tell them in an entertaining way. That will make you stand out. It might not be the best way to choose an employee, but I think it happens a lot. People want to work with other interesting people. An ex-person thought you shouldn't constantly criticize others working on your cause. Quote, There's an enormous amount of wasted time on infighting between groups working on the same cause. It's a dereliction of duty to avoid pointing out significant flaws in other groups, but when it's clear that a group isn't going to change their tactics, 
a constant focus of criticism seems unlikely to be worth the time and energy spent. There's a lot of proselytizing that comes out of people's need to feel morally superior, as opposed to careful thinking about what will bring about the best outcome. The next person thought you shouldn't follow general advice blindly. Quote, The issue with career advice in general, and it's such an issue for 80,000 hours, is how insanely context-relative it is. Not just from person to person, but even within a person's life. Take a question like, how much holiday should I take? Well, at some times in my life, I've worked incredibly hard and not taken any vacation, and that was exactly the right thing to do. And then at a different point in my life, I took three weeks of vacation, and that was exactly the right thing to do. So, what were the differences there? Well, for the first case, I wasn't burned out at that point, and it was a particularly crucial time, I think, where it wasn't clear how long I'd need to work for in this mode, and also it's just not the case that other people would have filled in this gap. But then, when I started taking more time off, that period allowed me to appreciate that I was quite burned out, and that I needed to change how I was structuring my life. It also gave me the chance to make other major life decisions that I would have made poorly if I were continuing in the working too much phase, where your decision-making ability can be impaired. And so then, that's just within one life. But maybe there are some people that just don't need to take any holidays. Maybe there are other people that need to take a lot more time off. It can be the case, for physical or mental health reasons, that you just physically cannot work a certain amount. But then for other people, that's not an issue at all. For a question like, should I leave my job? Well, some people are too hasty in leaving their job, but some people stick around way longer than they should have. Do you defer to the advice of others more or less? Well, some people just don't defer enough, but some defer way too much. So, trying to give any sort of general career advice, it's a fucking nightmare. All of this stuff, you just kind of need to figure it out for yourself. Is this actually applying to me? Am I the sort of person who's too eager to change jobs or too hesitant? Am I the sort of person who works themselves too hard or doesn't work hard enough? Following general advice without taking these factors into account is just kind of impossible. The next person thought you ought to solve low-level health problems in college. Quote, When you're in college, you should take the time and energy to try and sort out any chronic low-level health problems. Your time is less valuable then, and you might have access to good medical care through your university. It might be possible to put a lot of work into making sure you can hit the ground running once you graduate, instead of thinking, oh, these things aren't huge problems, I'll just let them eat away at me a little bit all the time. You'll then have to spend time later on, when your time is more valuable, probably with worse insurance. And in the US especially, it can be a mess. The next person thought you shouldn't listen too much to anyone's advice. Quote, I think the biggest mistake in careers is listening too much to one person's advice. I think so much of a career is finding out what you can do incredibly well. And because it's so hard, because it takes so much consideration and focus, so much of that has to do with finding what you can do well. Enjoyment comes into it. Passion comes into it. The fit between you and the task comes into it. And you just have to be there and try things and see how they go and listen to yourself. And if you're putting too much weight on someone else's advice, it's bad for that reason. I think people should listen to advice, they should consider it, but they should really put themselves in career situations where they're trying something and they're thinking about how it's feeling to them and they're thinking about how much they're growing as a person. And that's just hard to assess in a general sense. I think people early in their careers should really look at how much are they growing? How much are they learning? Are they growing in ways they want to be growing and learning things they want to be learning? Can they see themselves as a person who's obsessed with the things they're on track to work on? Are they surrounded by people who make them better, who challenge them to be better, who give them mentorship? Are they getting new opportunities? 
Are they moving up in the world? I think when you imagine a good resume, a lot of people imagine recognizable companies. And I don't think that's as important as having impressive skills, as having people who will vouch for your impressive skills, as having a strong network. Those are all things I think people should be trying to optimize for early in their career, and those are just really hard to give general advice on. To a first approximation, I think the best early career thing to do is just take the job that is the most impressive job available to you. By an impressive job, I mean you have a lot of responsibility, and if someone really understood what you did and how you did it, they would be impressed. I don't mean to talk about superficially impressive, like random people who hear your job instantly are impressed. I mean more how sharp people react when they understand what you do. It's distinct from having a resume that looks good, because it's not about the name of the company. It's often the job that would pay the most if there were less complexity about who's internalizing the value created. Obviously, making a million dollars a year is generally an impressive job, but being a tenured professor is pretty comparable to that, I'd say. I don't think this idea of impressiveness is the only thing people should consider, but I think it's a better first approximation than take the job that has the most impact. And then I also think people should care a lot about being on track to work on a good cause. I think putting heavy weight on both of those is good. I would sound much more like a conventional person in the effective altruism community if I were giving later career advice. The goal of your early career is getting yourself to the point where you've really developed an impressive set of skills and network and self-knowledge. And once you have those, you can use your common sense to make sure you're not doing anything that's way outside your wheelhouse. But other than that, if you just optimize for doing what seems to be the best thing, you're probably going to be in a good place. And you should be willing to make big sacrifices and do things that aren't your favorite thing at that point. But that's once you've built a really good self-model and really impressive skills. The next person thought that if you're not good at office politics, you should stay clear of it. Quote, Some people have exceptional office social skills. They're great at convincing others of their views, leading projects, and getting recognition. And I think career advice should be pretty different for them, compared to people who aren't like that at all. Sometimes I see advice that seems to assume that this is a skill that anyone can and should pick up. And I think it'd be fantastic if more advice just explicitly acknowledged, this will only work if you're good at office politics. Or something that says, even if you're terrible at office politics, this could be a great role for you. I mostly don't think that you can just pick up office social skills. Some people just start their careers with a huge advantage in trying to navigate that world, while others are miserable in environments where they have to do it. It's sometimes possible to improve these skills over time, but if you're part of this second group, forcing yourself to deal with office politics is probably a mistake. The next person thought that many personal decisions that people hassle you about don't matter. Quote, If you care about having a big impact, you'll have to do a lot of things that will naturally make you look lazy or dumb to other people. If you work in a top private company, people will expect you to work really long hours. But the hours you work don't really matter. If you work for an animal welfare nonprofit, people will expect you to be a vegan, but your diet doesn't really matter. Ignore these smaller personal decisions and focus on the key area where you can make the biggest difference, and then work out the key decisions you'll have to make within that area to maximize your impact. At the end of your career, the number of hours you worked isn't going to be the determining factor and you're having had an enormous impact. It'll be the result of these key decisions. Okay, moving on to our next question. So this was a separate piece on the website. Most of the questions are a separate piece. There are a few that have uh, multiple questions. But this time we asked the question, how have you seen talented people fail in their work? Our first person answering here had seen people not spending enough time on their mental health. Quote, as a way of preventing burnout, try to figure out as best you can whether that entry-level job is bullshit. 
Are they going to pay attention to your career development, to your skills, to your needs? If not, probably don't take the job, because there's a real chance you'll become disillusioned with the area completely. And our next person dealt with a similar topic. Quote, I think a lot of people just overestimate their ability to work hard at something they're not into without burning out. I've seen a fair amount of that. It's really disturbed me. I've seen people work really hard for a long time and have other people say, hey, can you ease up on yourself? I'm worried about you. And then one day just lose it. I've seen people just stop coming to work. I've seen people be unable to continue with their job. Whereas if they had slowed down a bit, they could have been sustainable. I have several major cases in mind where I truly believe that if they had been jogging, they could have kept jogging. But because they sprinted, they just stopped. And they reached a point where they couldn't do their work anymore. They became incredibly unproductive, even negatively productive, negatively impacting people around them. It's something I've seen a lot of. I don't think that's a small issue. I think it's a huge deal. I think out of all the potential that I've seen lost, that seems avoidably lost, maybe more than half comes from that exact phenomenon. The next person had seen people not thinking about their life as a whole. Quote, Maybe it's fine to drive yourself by force of will if it's really important and it's temporary, but if you try to build a career around that, things can go badly. I've seen several people recently who are really smart who have run into this, and it's a hard thing to get over. It's not like you just take a vacation and you're fine. This kind of thing can make you feel pretty lost. The next person had a similar answer to the question, have you seen talented people fail in their work? Quote, by focusing on what they're doing over the next year or two, rather than stepping back and thinking about their life as a whole. If you work in a fast-paced place, for example, then everything is always going to feel like it's on fire. You have to have a life where you can survive and get through that stuff for a long time. You have to make sure you can continue to function for your whole career, and not just the next couple of years. I guess this might sound generic, but I mean it sincerely. If you have a plan to do something really important for 10 years, you have to have a life that you can live for 10 years. You need to try to be happy over the long term. The next person had seen people making career strategy mistakes. Quote, I've seen people be too jumpy. So some opportunity presents itself, and it seems really good. And they just quit what they're currently doing and hop onto the new path. It seems particularly common in effective altruism for people to be happy to jump ship onto some new project that seems higher impact at the time. And I think that this tendency systematically underestimates the costs of switching and systematically overestimates the benefits. So you get a kind of grass is greener effect. In general, I think if you're taking a job, you should be imagining that you're going to do that job for several years. If you're in a job and you're not hating it, it's going pretty well, and some new opportunity presents itself, I think you should be extremely reticent to jump ship. I think there are also a lot of gains from focusing on one activity or a particular set of activities. You get increasing returns for quite a while. And if you're switching between things often, you lose that benefit. There are definitely people I know who I now consider to be extremely talented, but who maybe weren't even that good at what they're doing when they started out. But they kept sticking it out. And now, years later, I think they're excellent at their job. They did this just by being really focused on this one activity and developing mastery of it. As an example of how some guests disagreed within this series, this next person thought you should be pretty open to leaving a job after 6 to 12 months. In their answer to the question... What mistakes do people most often make when deciding what work to do? Quote, I don't think you should just do what you're passionate about. But I also don't think you should do whatever has the highest expected value to the world if it's something that you're going to hate. When I started out my career, the things I was told to work on needed to be done. But they were incredibly draining for me personally. And even though there are other things I could have been working on that I love to do, 
things that others might find unbearable, there was no attempt to work out what I enjoyed or what I was good at. I think organizations generally need to become more receptive to finding specific tasks for specific people, something that they'll be good at and at least somewhat motivated by. For individuals, it's hard to get sample data on what a job will actually be like, but not impossible. You can talk to a whole bunch of people working in that area. Find out which specific things they're working on that sound exciting to you. Read as much as you can about the area, and figure out what you think the most effective positions are. Critically, once you do take a new job, immediately start thinking, is there something else that's a better fit? There's still a taboo around people changing jobs quickly. I think you should maybe stay six months in a role, just so they're not totally wasting their time in training you. But the expectation should be that if someone finds out a year in that they're not enjoying the work, or they're not particularly suited to it, it's better for everyone involved if they move on. Everyone should be actively helping them to find something else. Doing something you don't enjoy or aren't particularly good at for one or two years isn't a tragedy, but doing it for 20 or 30 years is. You can get a sense for what the most effective role is from outside, but you'll only find out if you enjoy it by actually doing it. So people should be way more willing to jump ship. Moving on, the next question was, what's the thing people most overrate in their career? The first person said, having a special job. Quote, a lot of people seem to have a sense that they're failing in some deep sense if they just have a normal job that's stable, that pays well, and that leaves them with a good amount of mental energy at the end of the day. I think that's actually a really good, morally commendable path. Lots of people should just do that. It puts you in a good position to figure out where you should go from there, and you'll experience a lot more growth doing that for a couple of years compared to being a starving artist for a couple of years. If you have the mindset that getting a normal job is a form of failure, you'll probably find that it sucks for the first couple of weeks. Jobs just aren't actually as fun as doing whatever you want. But I think that after a while, most people are able to adjust. You might think going in that you'd be miserable in a normal job, but that probably isn't true. The next person said that security was the thing people most overrate in their career. Quote, The comfort of being able to predict where they'll be decades from now. If you're talented and hardworking, there's no need to worry excessively about your long-term prospects. Maybe just try to do the best thing you can think of now, going in with the expectation that you'll probably be doing something completely different in a few years. Next up, we asked, if you're a talented young person, how risk-averse should you be? The first person said that if you're very talented, taking risks is fine. Quote, I think exceptionally talented young people should really embrace risk. Exceptional talent tends to win you a lot of friends, and even if you don't succeed in an environment, people will be pretty happy to recommend you for other things that might be a better fit. If most people's impression of you is, wow, what an impressive person, you do not need to be risk-averse. You'll find ways to succeed. But how do you know if you're that talented? Well, think about how many of your current coworkers would think of you Wow, this is one of the most amazing people. If it doesn't work out for them here, there are so many other things I'd be excited about them doing. I think a lot of people in this group on some level know it's true, but haven't really admitted it to themselves because it feels arrogant. Maybe they've heard people say really nice things about them. Maybe they've had other really amazing job offers. But even if they have all this evidence, they might still not recognize it. They might still be as insecure as everyone else. 
I think it's really worth doing whatever you can to get an accurate answer to this. This is only a tiny percentage of people, but even so, if you're not quite in this category, that doesn't at all mean that there aren't great options for you. If you're talented without being absolutely exceptionally talented, you should make sure that you have a solid backup plan, something that you know you can definitely do. It could be becoming a software developer or something a lot more attainable, like working in an Amazon warehouse. It's important to know what you're going to do if your current job doesn't work out. Don't push yourself to the point where it feels like it's this or nothing. Even if you're a really talented person, sometimes things don't work out. The next person said that you should take huge risks, then use grad school to reset. Quote, In the US, there's an amazing opportunity to take huge risks that most people don't take advantage of. Coming straight out of college, you can basically do anything for a couple of years. I've seen people take two years off and not do anything, or work on a really dumb startup idea or something, and then get into a top law or business school. And then they go on to do the most prestigious things. Because it's a true reset opportunity. People don't care about what you did before law school. They only care about where you went to law school. It can actually help your application to business or law school. They already have so many applicants who have worked at top law firms. So your story about running a non-profit startup with a crazy idea that completely failed, it's actually appealing to them. It gives their class some diversity. If your risky move pays off, great. Don't go to grad school. If it doesn't, go to grad school and reset. I don't know how valuable this advice is for people outside of the US. And my advice would change here depending on who I was talking to. On the whole, I think people are too risk-averse, but I think some of the most talented people are often the most risk-averse, and this advice could make those people feel anxious. The next person said that the priority is to surround yourself with great people. Quote, When you're young, think a lot about the things you're going to learn and the people you'll be working with for any opportunity. Both of those will have a big effect on setting you up later in your career. I think the way one might be risk-averse is by going to a large institution that has a good reputation. That's really going to be a better idea than joining something less established that will surround you with great people you can learn from. The next person said that talented young people should ask themselves, do they want to influence the halls of power? Quote, In a lot of circumstances, the thing that will allow you to be successful is to play the game. There's a really good case for risk aversion if your goal is to influence the halls of power. I've told a lot of young people who are about to graduate from law school that the worst thing they could do would be to go work for a standard nonprofit, that they should go do something mainstream and build up the credibility and connections that will allow them to ultimately make a difference. But if you're not hoping to influence the halls of power, why not jump into something that's risky but has a colossal potential reward? All right. The next question was, what's one way to be successful you don't think people talk about enough? The first person said, take motivation seriously. Quote, maybe the most useful advice I've ever had was someone telling me to think about my motivational fit with job options, as opposed to personal fit. Not being concerned with an outside list of what skills does this position need, but instead, how do I feel about the prospect of working at this place for eight hours a day for years? Take seriously what you actually feel motivated by. The next person thought that being willing to do whatever matters is a way to be successful that people don't talk about enough. Quote, It's just so valuable to have someone who's totally on board with the mission of the organization they're working for, and happy to do just absolutely whatever matters. Because most people aren't really like that. When you're a manager, 
and you have to manage someone where you need to think not only about what's the best thing for this person to do with respect to the organization, but also need to consider the idiosyncratic ways in which they're kind of fussy. It massively increases management overhead and can quite drastically decrease usefulness. Whereas someone who thinks, I don't really care about what title I have, I don't really care what I do, I just want to advance the mission of the organization, is just way more valuable, often many times more valuable. My guess is that this works better too in terms of advancing your career. You start to learn skills on the things that are actually most valuable, and you just get the reputation of someone who really gets stuff done, no matter what that stuff is. The next person thought that you should be relentless at pitching ideas. Quote, Try to get the least important role at the place you most admire. Then, try to move up the ladder. Whenever you get the chance, be relentless at pitching ideas. Even if the ideas are terrible, it displays motivation and ambition, and it's always easier for bosses to hire from within the company. The next person thought that improving the performance of others is a way to be successful that people don't talk about enough. Quote, Being successful in roles that involve supporting others, we probably don't talk about this enough. At the same time, I think it's really important that the person wants to be in a support role. Because I don't want it to be the case that people start talking about how great it is to have people in support roles, even if they don't want to be there. And I think those roles are in fact very skilled. I've known amazing people who were personal assistants or doing administrative work for organizations, and I don't want it to be seen as some second-rate thing. They're really important roles, and they're probably undervalued. But only go into it if you're good at it, and you'd enjoy it. Next person mentioned important conversations with friends as something that isn't talked about enough. Quote, Getting someone else to do good things. It could quite easily be the case that most of the social impact in your life comes down to a single conversation with someone you just happen to be friends with, who ends up becoming extremely wealthy or extremely influential, and you're then able to connect them to the right people. And that's pretty weird. The entire value of your career can end up coming from who you happen to know. That can be kind of disheartening, but I think it can be true. Okay, the next question was, what's the worst advice you commonly see people give? The first person was most concerned with overconfidence. Quote, People give advice with near 100% confidence. They say, you should obviously do this. And once someone respected says that the best thing to do in this field is X, impressionable people have a tendency to commit to that path, even if they have no reason to think they have the relevant background or skills to succeed. It's alarming whenever someone says, this is obviously the best thing to do. When in reality, we have very little information in so many spaces. A lot of people are both smart and overconfident. And the smarter they are, the more easily they can lead other people astray. The thing they're working on might not be obviously bad, but if they're saying it's obviously the only right approach, and they sound convincing, that can do a lot of damage. The next person thought that it was bad to ask, what have you achieved this week? Quote, a lot of people seem to think about career success with very short time horizons. If they haven't done anything huge or impressive in the last couple of weeks, they feel like a failure. So I think a lot of people are going around constantly feeling like a failure, when in reality, their performance is perfectly good and their career trajectory overall is perfectly good. I think it would be a good idea to focus less on whether you've had a good week and more on whether you're having a good year. Moving on, the next question was, what are the biggest mistakes you've made in your career so far? First person said, hiring suboptimally. Quote, most of my biggest mistakes in my life have been hiring, and most of my biggest wins in my life have been hiring. I think for many people, once they get to the top of their career, 
That's where the big stakes are. It's very hard to unwind a hiring decision. When you get it right, it's so good. And when you get it wrong, it's so bad. Sometimes it's about who you hire, and sometimes it's about the timing of hiring. I've made mistakes in the past by hiring people for roles that weren't well-defined enough yet, that we didn't have a good enough sense of yet to really know who was going to fit it and how to tell if someone was going to fit it. I think that led to suboptimal hiring, and suboptimal hiring is just about the worst mistake you can make. I really try to approach almost everything in life as a series of little decisions, instead of one big decision that I'm making. Most things in life I try to set up so that I can change my mind at any time, but hiring just isn't that, so you just have to get it right. And I often don't. The next person thought that not paying for tutoring was their biggest career mistake. Quote, I think it was a mistake to not pay for tutoring. In college, I was really frugal and just didn't value my time enough. If you want to do a PhD, getting tutoring might be the difference between getting into a good program and a great program, and that has a real impact in terms of getting the best jobs down the road. In my case, it's possible that tutoring could have saved me years of time in terms of eventually getting my current role, and if I knew that then, obviously it would have been worth the money. It's a little bit different from the standard advice that you have to value your time. There are some particularly high-stakes moments in your life where it's definitely worth spending the money. The second-to-last question we're highlighting today was, imagine you're 18 and starting your career over again. What's your plan? First person said that they'd want to graduate quickly. Quote, I would know that I don't want to go into academia or be a technical person, which I think I could have figured out early in college if I'd thought about it carefully and had memes around me about strategic career choice. So I would abandon that and instead take easy classes and get really good grades and learn about the things that seemed most interesting and important to me. I would also try to graduate unusually quickly. In the US, I'd try to graduate in three years instead of four. I think a lot of people can do that if they take easy classes, an easy major, and really try. But that's not normal. People don't think about it. The next person said that their plan, if they're 18 again, would be to focus on highly technical topics. Quote, I think in college I'd either want to be more academic or less academic. I think maybe I'd want to learn physics and computer science and get on a track where it'd be easier for me to do technical stuff later in life. But I also know that would mean that I'd have to work a lot harder in school. I think what I actually ended up doing was not working very hard in school. More of my learning came from extracurricular activities. It was more of a social experience for me and less of an intellectual one. So I think I'd go in one of those two directions. I'm not sure which. I'm pretty happy with how things have gone, so I don't regret the less technical path. I think most things that you can learn in life are very hard to learn in school. I think people tend to learn a lot more on the job than they do in school. You learn more by having something that you're trying to get done. It's hard for knowledge to be so general and well-established that you can learn it in a classroom instead of in the context where you need it, and it'll really hold up and be useful to you. But there is a specific set of topics where you just really need to learn a whole bunch of stuff that is well understood, that builds on each other, that's highly general, and that you have to learn in sequence. Math, physics, CS. I think school is the right place to learn in these areas. It's a great time and a great format to learn in these areas. If I was starting over, I would at least understand that, and I probably would use my schooling to learn highly technical topics, because I'll never have another chance to spend that much time learning those topics. And all the other stuff I learned in class, I'm guessing I could basically learn as I needed on the job. And the last question we're highlighting today is, what's some underrated general life advice? 
The first person said you should maintain old friendships. Quote, keep up old friendships. They're worth a lot. As an adult, you don't really form new friends in the way that you do as a kid. You can think about it as a time investment. When you're at school, you can just spend hundreds of hours really getting to know someone, and you just never really get time for that as an adult. And so if you lose an old friend, then you've just lost this huge investment. In particular, with old friends, you might sometimes feel distant from them. You might feel like you're drifting apart. But you often find that regression to the mean kicks in, and you end up being closer again. That just kind of happens over the course of many years. I've been really happy that I've taken the time to maintain old friendships. The next person said, you should figure out how to spend money to save time. Quote, it's worth doing quick dollar per hour calculations for things that could save you time. To my surprise, I found that many things make sense even if you value your time at order of magnitude $1 per hour. They include things like a dishwasher. You can get a portable or countertop version if you're in a single person household. Having laundry in your apartment. You can get a combination washer-dryer that uses a standard outlet and no vent. This actually saves you money even when you count the increase in rent due to the lost square footage. Using voice recognition software. This is one of the biggest time-saving interventions. Using a hands-free phone so you can do housework while on the phone. Treadmill desk or an exercise bike allowing reading and computer work. And having a wireless headset so you can listen to podcasts while grooming, etc. The next person wanted to highlight the value of a supportive partner. Quote, I think one of the most important things is finding a supportive partner. I might not want to say that publicly. I think a lot of the things that you feel help you the most personally along the way you don't want to emphasize, even if they are important to you. The reverse statement is perhaps even more important. Don't have an unsupportive partner. Surround yourself with supportive people more generally, including mentors in your field. The next person said you should have a plan for what to do if your mental health deteriorates. Quote, Learn to identify signs of mental health deterioration in yourself and have a plan for what to do if you see it happening. This might be something that you naturally start to do as you get older. When you're young, maybe you just don't notice these things, and then you eventually start to notice the signs that it's getting worse, and seeing those signs becomes something you want to pass on to others. You might have stages where you think, okay, I am feeling basically level one sadness. And you know roughly what you can cope with in this stage. But you also know the signs of level two sadness. And if you get there, maybe you know that you need to take time off from work and go into recovery mode. Or maybe you go to your doctor or call a friend or reread a certain book that reminds you of lifestyle things that you can do to make you happy. I think people start to have these plans as they get older and they find them really useful. The next person said that you should consider an unconventional life. Quote, Having a generally unconventional life that's highly customized to your values, in my case, effective altruist ones, and preferences is tough, and people like to stress the risks, especially when talking to younger people. But if you can get away with it, it is just a really fulfilling and joyful way to live. I think I'm much happier than most of my old friends, on many dimensions, and I feel I get to express more of myself and generally be more myself and have such a rich sense of meaning and purpose, which a lot of people my age seem to struggle to find. I think if I'd gone a more conventional route, a lot of the things that are most precious to me wouldn't even be a part of my life. I don't know what the odds of success with this are, and I do know of some people who tried to do something less conventional, and I think it was quite bad for them, so I can't say I recommend it from a self-interested perspective. I'm just saying that at least for me and a few other people I know, it's made our lives much better and more meaningful. 
there's a lot to gain as well as to lose. And finally, the last anonymous answer that we're showing today said, set aside time to think about the big things. Then, just live your life. Quote, Every so often, I have one chunk of time that I spend reflecting on the big things. My overall life plan, what I should work on next. And the rest of the time, I don't really think about it. And I feel like that's about as effective, if not more effective, as thinking about it all the time. You're probably less likely to burn out if you're not beating yourself up about absolutely everything you're doing. It's fine to take some time to think about the big things, then just live a normal life the rest of the time. Just a reminder that these were only a few answers from each piece, and there's a lot more to read at 80,000hours.org slash anonymous. There are actually 13 questions that didn't get mentioned in this recording at all, including what's the most important thing you've changed your mind about over the last few years? What's the most important decision you think you've made in your career so far? And among people trying to improve the world, what are the bad habits you see most often? We also left out any that were specifically about the effective altruism community, including one of my favorite entries, which asked, what are the biggest flaws of 80,000 hours? If you would like us to produce more content like this, please let us know at podcast at 80,000hours.org. Thanks for listening.